Hello and welcome to the Desperate and Appalling podcast series. My name is Paul Sloan and together with my co-author Des McHale we've written a number of books ranging from uh, lateral thinking puzzles, mathematical lateral thinking puzzles, world's best word puzzles, one, two, three, four, wacky, witty and wonderful words are some of the books we've written. And in this series of podcasts, we chat about puzzles, situations, words, anything that takes our fancy. So please sit back, enjoy the podcast. And if you like it, come back and listen to some more. Well, good day to you, Des. Good day to you, Paul. And where are you today? I'm in County Mayo today, beautiful County Mayo, where every, everybody in Ireland is staycationing this year. And it's uh, the weather isn't great this morning, but it's absolutely beautiful. And the air is just so beautiful, you can almost breathe it. Excellent. Wonderful. <laughs> and um, last week, you left uh, uh, listeners with a puzzle in our last episode. And it was from your book, Number and Letter Puzzles. Uh, and the puzzle was, what does 59 b on an r stand for b on a r and i i struggled i I gave it some thought and i i couldn't come up with the answer so do you want to tell our listeners yes i I, i'll give you the answer it's quite a difficult puzzle and maybe it's a bit specialist but the answer is 59 beads on a rosary well i shouldn't have known that being a good catholic when you've been a good catholic you should have known that but (laughs) even if you've never prayed in a rosary bead you should be able to see that i mean it's a it's quite viable and it is tough. I mean, it's one of the toughest puzzles of that type that I know. Well, today we're going to go back to um, our most recent book, which is 1,234 Wacky, Witty and Wonderful Words, uh, which is selling quite well. And people uh, keep saying they enjoy it. So we're going to uh, visit some words from that book. And I believe you want to focus on words of Irish origin. How many words of Irish origin are there in the English language, do you think, Tess? Well, if you read most of the books on linguistics, it says there are very few, there are less than a dozen. But I, I've been researching it for years. Actually, I've written a book on it, which isn't published yet. And I reckon there are about 200 words of Irish origin that can genuinely be traced back to their Irish roots. Some of them are, are well known. Bog, for example. I mean, everybody knows the word bog. And uh, it, it comes from the Irish word bog, meaning a soft place. That, that one isn't, isn't, isn't disputable. And then you've always like Blarney, which is an actual place in Ireland. And Elizabeth I is said to have said to her Irish ambassador, you know, I've had enough of this blarney from you. She actually made up the word, which is nice. And your words like carrageen, most some people have used carrageen moss as a sort of a cure for chest ailments. And it comes from a seaweed that's found on, growing on rocks in the sea in Ireland. And carrageen would mean a little stone or a little rock. So the words are there, actually. You also you have three categories, really, of Hiberno-English, which is the English which is used in Ireland, but not probably commonly used uh, uh, on the mainland of England. You also have Anglo-Irish, which is the language used by Irish authors traditionally, like James Joyce and George Bernard Shaw. And then, of course, you have the Gaelic Irish. But sometimes the Gaelic Irish is not really distinguishable from the Scots-Irish. I mean, you have words like claymore, meaning a clay of more, a big sword. And that's a word that will be common in both languages. So it's a very rich heritage. Unfortunately, it hasn't been explored at all, hardly. Well, let me let me throw in a couple of my favourites. Trousers is a, a a Gaelic word, apparently. Trubas. Yes, and Tory. Well, the Tory is a word that we use in England to describe members of the Conservative Party, politicians, the political group called, known as Tories. But it's the word is of Irish origin, I believe. 
Yes, and it means a sort of a, an outlaw or a vagabond or somebody who's sort of uh, being chased by the police. And I, I don't know if the Tory party would be quite keen on knowing that, but it, that's one that's definitely been traced and is historically accurate. Actually, to go back to trousers, trousers is a unique word in the English language in that it's singular at the top and plural at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> very good uh, yeah and the, i think the tories would be uh, 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 really upset to know that the origin means a, an outlaw or a highwayman in gaelic but uh, many of the opponents of the tories would think it was a very apt and fitting description <laughs> absolutely yeah. yeah now another yeah. word which is very dear to our hearts is whiskey and um whiskey is a gaelic word is it yeah it comes from the irish word ishke baha meaning the water of life but you actually have this in many languages i think in french and Arabic as well, that they regard whiskey as a water of life, but certainly that's of Irish origin and probably of Scottish origin as well. The Irish and the Scottish spellings are different. The Irish one has an E and the Scottish one does not have an E, which is interesting. So which one is better for you, the, the Irish whiskey with an E or the Scotch whiskey without the E? They're both equally bad for you, as far as I can tell. So uh, give us another Irish word, please. Well, there, there are lots of sort of slightly off words, like using Irish slang, a, a gobshite is somebody who speaks an awful lot of nonsense. It's a marvellous word. Uh, <laughs> it's a word, it's good. It's a good insulting word anyway. And then you have an idiot. An idiot is an Irish idiot, you know, I mean, if you can be an ordinary idiot and that's bad enough, but if you're an, an idiot, that's completely beyond the bounds. And uh, it, it's a word that's used a lot in Ireland. One word that is, is maybe controversial is Dracula. And a friend of mine claims that it comes from Druk Ulla, meaning bad blood. It's a totally false derivation, of course, but uh, it's got into the books. And once something gets into the books, it stays there. Uh, yeah, how can it be denied? Yeah. What about the word kibosh? To put the kibosh on something is to, uh, to damn it or to, to doom it. But where does that yeah, come from? Well, that, that's got an interesting derivation. It comes from corp bosh, meaning the cap of death. And it was the... Uh, when a person was being laid out in the coffin, I mean, if, if they wanted to put a cap on to sort of keep the skull in shape or something like that, they actually put the cap of death on the skull. And it came to mean something that was completely finished, completely gone. It's been, it's, it's had it. So another word of Celtic origin is slogan. And slogan is something that we use in, in marketing and advertising. But it originally means a Celtic war cry from the Gaelic That's right. army and Gaelic cry. That's right. It's a battle cry. And uh, again, it's it's a uh, it probably comes from slua as well, which means a crowd of people shouting together or something like that. Um, everybody, of course, knows boycott. I mean, Captain Boycott lived in the west of Ireland, right beside where I'm staying at the moment. And um, he was a very cruel landlord. And I mean, he evicted people from their houses and uh, raised the rents and all that type of thing. So they decided to boycott him, decided to send him to Coventry and nobody would have anything to do with him. No matter how much money he had, nobody would sell him anything or buy him anything. Nobody would work for him. Nobody would work in the fields for him. So he actually had to leave the country. And the, the word has gone into the English language as to boycott somebody. Another Celtic word is ptarmigan, which is a grouse-like bird found in Scotland. And it's from the Gaelic, Tarmacan. And it's one of the very few words in the English language that begin with the letters PT. That's correct, yeah. But, well, they're, they're found in the bog, you see, which are PT. <laughs> very PT. <laughs> yes. An ad hoc I pun. I wouldn't want to give the impression that this book is all about derivations. Absolutely not. It's, it's not. There's lots of other things in here um, which are, which are uh, interesting words, like uh, desserts is the longest word which forms another word when spelled backwards stressed mm. well if you're stressed have some desserts yes yeah. and a dermatologist 
is a doctor who makes rash decisions. Did you know that? <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> I mean, the, some of the Irish ones also commemorate um, events like steeplechase. Steeplechase, there was a, a, two people in County Cork, um, where, 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 I, where I live, they decided to have a race to see which of their horses was the better. And they were jumping across fences across countryside. And they started off at the steeple of one church and then finish off about four miles away, the steeple of another church. So races, jumping over fences across country became known as steeplechases. And of course, the Grand National is the greatest steeplechase in the world. So that word has actually gone into the English language. Very good. And then you've got two Irish gentlemen called Burke and Hare who lived in Edinburgh and they discovered that if they, they brought corpses along to the uh, mortuary at Edinburgh University that they could get paid for them. And then when they ran out of corpses to dig up, they started to kill and murder people. And um, they were caught by the police, of course. And one of them, uh, Hare turned Queen's evidence and condemned his friend and the other friend was hanged. And ironically, his body wound up in the mortuary of Edinburgh University Hospital. A very ironic story. Very ironic story, yeah. yeah. And of course you have crack. I mean, crack is, is known as a, a dreadful drug which plagues the world, but C-R-A-I-C, crack, is an Irish word meaning fun or having a good time. So you might like to come to Ireland for the crack, but there's yeah, no connection. With yes, it means the atmosphere or the, the, yeah, yeah. Uh, the ambience. Of, of good a, times, funny times, yeah. yeah. Uh, and yeah. It's, the spelling is C-R-A-I-C. It's a marvellous That's word. correct. That's correct. So, yeah. um, well, I'll give uh, listeners two little puzzles from the book, really. And they are, what is the only word in the English language that ends in the letters MT? It ends in the letters MT. And uh, on a very a, a close by page in the book, uh, what word has six letters? But if you remove one letter, you're left with 12. What word has six letters? But if you remove one letter, you're left with 12. That really is that really in the book? Of course, it's in the book. Yes, <laughs> not, not accurately, but it's in the Amen. book. Amen. So, Des, why don't we? Why don't you break things up with a, a joke? Do you have a joke for us this week? Yes, I've got a joke for you. It's it's a lawyer joke. Now, I know you have family connections with the legal profession, so you don't particularly like lawyers. But this is a very good one. I think it's a lovely joke. And as a man who's sitting beside a lawyer at a very formal dinner, and he's making conversation with them, and he said, "Is it true?" He said that you charge a thousand pounds to answer three questions. The lawyer says, yes, that's correct. And he says, isn't that rather a lot of money? Yes, it is, said the lawyer. Now, what's your third question? <laughs> <laughs> it's a, that's a rather good joke, I think. It hits, a, hits home hard. And the structure of the joke is, I, I think, absolutely beautiful. I remember we had a problem with uh, people who are copying our software when I was in the software industry and, and we, we found out who they were and we wanted to prosecute them. And um, we needed advice. We spoke to a solicitor and he said, uh, well, it's a very tricky matter in law. Um, and what you need to do is get uh, an expert, a Queen's Counsel, um, a top barrister, uh, who's an expert on intellectual property to advise you on this. And so we called in one of the top experts. He charged a thousand pounds an hour, as you say, for yeah. three quid. And we said to him, well, what do we do about this? And he said, well, it's a very tricky point in law because what they're doing is unlawful, but it's not necessarily illegal. And I said to him, well, what do you mean by that? What can that possibly mean? How can it be uh, unlawful but not illegal? And what's the difference? He said, well, it's a very fine point, very, very important point in law. But unlawful means against the constituted laws of the land, whereas illegal is a sick bird. <laughs> very good, very good. Actually, professionals are plagued by people stopping them in the street, asking them questions about, you know, I mean, 
medical matters or legal matters or whatever. So one doctor said he had a very, very good way of avoiding this. He said, if a lady stopped on the street and says, oh, I've got this terrible pain in my back, doctor. He says, okay, take all your clothes off. <laughs> I think I've heard that letter. And somebody else said, my father was a doctor. If somebody stopped him in the street and asked for a diagnosis, he would say, close your eyes and stick your tongue out. And then he would walk away. So I don't... <laughs> <laughs> Very good, very good. So a diastema is a gap between the front teeth and many species of animals have a diastema as a normal feature, most commonly yeah. between the incisors and the molars. But yeah. many uh, actors and other people have a diastema uh, and it's a feature which you notice when you, you look at them. You see a gap in the yeah. front teeth is, and now you'll know the word, it's a diastema and that's yeah. in the book. And Terry Thomas, there's a beautiful picture of Terry Thomas as well. There is He's a lovely got the most. He probably had that diastema um, insured for millions because, you know, if he lost that, he'd lose all his charm and all his character. Yes, it was it was part of his trademark, really. A derrick is a long beam used for lifting heavy objects, uh, which you may know, but it's named after the hangman Thomas Derrick, who lived around 1600. And he used, obviously used a beam to uh, when he was uh, carrying out his professional work. I mean, I'm just 200 miles from home here now, and it seems close in the same country, but the language is completely different. You would use a completely different vocabulary in County Mayo than in County Cork. The language in various parts of Britain is community. If you go to Yorkshire, it's as if you're speaking almost a foreign language, although it's meant to be English. And it shows you the extraordinary richness of language and the extraordinary ability of people to sort of cope with meanings of different words in different places and accents. You know, I'm in a place here where there are four or five towns and each one of them has its own distinctive accent. And you could tell immediately where a person comes from just by listening to their accent. So I think we tend to take language for granted and just how wonderful it is. First of all, I think the learning of language of a child at its mother's knee is one of the most extraordinary processes in the whole world. Whatever language you become proficient in later on, you cannot be as good as what you get from at, at your mother's knee. And th these are great mysteries that we just take for granted and we take for granted that people understand each other. And then you can get into philosophy because how do I know that if I say the word to, that I mean the same thing as you mean by the, the word to? And there are lots of things there that we take for granted and people don't even talk about them or discuss them. I think we should talk an awful lot more about words and what they mean to us and how we use them in life. It's true. And um, people from uh, Newcastle speak very differently from people in Liverpool, for example, with a completely different accent and a different dialect. It's, so that at times are almost diffi it's difficult for them to understand each other. And when television was rolled out nationally, there was a, a belief that it would eradicate dialects because there'd be a received pronunciation of yeah, English, yeah. which people would see on the news and all of the programmes, and gradually regional accents would die out. And of course, that mm. hasn't happened at all. No. Actually, Irish accents were extremely popular with the BBC, people like Terry Wogan and Henry Kelly. And I mean, yes. that became for a long time the favourite sort of accent for people to listen to, especially on radio. And I don't really mind what accents people speak with or what words they speak with, as long as they're clear and understandable. The danger is that uh, a dialect will degenerate into something that you just can't understand a single word they say. Well, I mean, people do perceive different things in accents and um, an Edinburgh accent is perceived to be very intellectual and cultured. And many commentators on the BBC have a, an Edinburgh accent as opposed to a Glasgow accent, which is not very far away in Scotland, but it's yeah. And a yeah. Birmingham accent, uh, there are many, many people speak with a Birmingham accent, but that's seen as, as something which is 
quite common and not very uh, cultured or educated. I, I find the comedian Billy Connolly very funny, but I can't understand what he's saying. <laughs> just about half the time I can get what he's saying. And uh, I don't know if he knows this or not, that most people can't understand them, but it's extremely important because, you know, language is a medium of communication. And if you're not understood at the other end, then it's failed in its purpose. So I'll mention a Scottish word which is in the book, which is loonslat, L-O-O-N-S-L-A-T-T. And it's an obsolete Scottish coin whose value was 13 and a half pence, 13 and a half old pence. And the significance of the amount was that it was the usual fee paid to the hangman for carrying out his gruesome task. Wow, that's a lovely background. I mean, a word takes on a totally new significance if it's got a meaning or a connection with something gruesome like that. I really like that. How about the word smithereens? Smithereens. Well, smithereens. Yes. smithereens. smithereens. Close something to smithereens. Yeah, well, smithereens means very small pieces in the Irish language, and it's gone been adapted completely to 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 the English word smithereens. And it's a it's a wonderful word because just to say it, you really feel you're actually breaking the pieces up. Sometimes I come up with a derivation of a word that. I'm not 100% sure of, but this, you know, I mean, you, you get what I call acoustic accident. And that is, you know, the famous one is that smashing. That's a smashing, that's a smashing car you've got there. And I mean, it sounds exactly like the Irish words is smashing, meaning that's very good. And that's in the, in the books as a derivation. And it's a total non-runner because smashing and it's, that's very good don't seem to have anything in common at all. It's just the same sound. And a lot of linguistic people think that just because two words in different languages have precisely the same sound, that they must be related in meaning. And that that's just not the case. I've got, for example, shack. That sounds very much like the Irish word for a house, which is chock. I, I divide the words into, in, into three categories, ones that are absolutely definite, like bog for bog. And then there's the good runners, I mean, things that might very well be the case. And then there's the crazy ones that just don't have a hope that people write down because they like the sound of them. A shanty, by the way, shanty is the name for an old house. And that, that, that's certainly correct in Irish, but it's not in, in, in any of the books. And one, another one I'd come up with, the last one I'll tell you is um, a longshoreman. Have you heard of a longshoreman? Indeed, yes. Yeah, well, no, a longshoreman, that's of dubious origin, they say in the books, but longshore is the Irish for a sailor. And I think there must be a connection there. But the people who see the people who write these dictionaries don't seem to know all of the languages and they'd be amazed if the language like bungalow, for example, comes from the Indian. So if you aren't, aren't familiar with sort of Indian dialects, you might you might miss that particular one. It's no, a fascinating. No, bungalow comes from the two Irish builders who uh, wanted to complete the house quickly and once said bungalow roof on it. <laughs> I was waiting for you to come up with that one. <laughs> That's racist. No, you won't get away with that. You, know? you can't get away with that anymore now. And of course, we have limericks as well, because they're called after the city of Limerick, and nobody quite knows why. But uh, they think that they were composed by poets living quite nearby. There was a young man from Darjeeling who took the number nine bus to West Ealing. It said on the door, don't spit on the floor. So he jumped up and spat on the ceiling. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> and that's one of your cleaner ones, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sassanac is the Gaelic Scottish name for an English person, but its origins are from Saxony in Germany. Correct. And yeah. there's a Gaelic word for Brexit, which is Sassamach. Okay, I mean, Brits out, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have a word malarkey. Malarkey is used in America for, for um, nonsense or, you know, that's a load of rubbish. And uh, malarkey is an Irish surname. And presumably somebody called malarkey was known for spouting this type of stuff. 
Unlike bologna, which I think comes from is in our book as well. Sausage, yes. Yeah. Yeah. From Bologna, sausage. Bologna, I think, yes. Comes from Italy. A very inferior type of sausage, I think. That's why it was called bologna. Yeah. Now, what's a fotuk? Fotuk. It sounds a funny <laughs> word, a fotuk. It's one of the curved timbers used to make the rib on the hull of a wooden ship. Very nice. Very nice. I thought it was part of my leg. <laughs> no, that's a buttock, yeah. <laughs> it's like that old question, what's got the bottom at the top? The answer is the leg. <laughs> Your legs, that's right. And then the old, the old name, the Latin name for Ireland was Hibernia, yes. which means win, winter quarters, because they thought the language, was, they thought the climate there was so unfavourable that nobody would want to live in that particular country. And were they right? They were probably right. They were, yeah. <laughs> you get a lot of rain in Ireland. That's why it's so green. That is true. And it's, it's you know, something, I remember flying over Europe once and looking down and seeing how brown everything was. And then... You came to Ireland and it really is green from the air. I mean, it's it, it's one of the wonderful advantages of having it. It's also good for cattle and for horses and that type of thing as well, because a lot of grass grows there, which is also green. And what contribution do you think the Irish have made to culture in the English language? Well, especially with regard to writing and poetry. I mean, it's quite ironic. I mean, I've got books on my shelf which say, you know, English literature and 30, 40%, maybe 50% of them are, are Irish authors. You have Joyce and Goldsmith and Shaw and all sorts of people. And it seems that the English language was taken over by the Irish people as something, you know, for a long time, Irish was banned and you were forced to speak English and people didn't like that. But when people did learn English and speak English, they became very, very good at it. And they, spoke, they, they wrote and spoke in such a way that was very free and that was very creative which a lot of people in England weren't doing at the time. And also in terms of humour, some of the greatest humorists in the English language, such as um, Joyce and Swift and Shaw and those people, Oscar Wilde, they were great writers, but they were also humorous writers. There were people who saw the funny side of the English language. The English language is very serious. English literature is a very serious business. But I think the Irish looked at the artistic side and the humorous side of it and produced some very great stuff. And I think we're very lucky. I know maybe it's not patriotic in Ireland to say it, but we are so, so lucky to have had the English language imposed on us because we made it our own. We invented Hiberno-English and Anglo-Irish, and it's, it's absolutely wonderful. And I just wonder, we're the only country now left in, 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 in Europe which speaks the English language, which is very good because people come here because the, the Americans come here an awful lot. I mean, to do business and for tourism and everything else because they're able to speak the language. And, and um, there are many language schools in Ireland where people go to, to learn English. They do. And they, I know people in Japan who are now speaking English with a Cork accent. <laughs> <laughs> and what have they done to deserve that? Yes. <laughs> I don't um, do you want to uh, leave our listeners with one last word or puzzle or, or joke? Yes, one, 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 one last word. The word car, which is a very common English word, uh, it seems it's an Irish in origin. It comes from car, C-A-R-R, which meant a vehicle in ancient Ireland, a horse-drawn vehicle. And it's quite amazing when you start to look at, at the background towards the things that are there that you, maybe you don't see written down. Um, I was very lucky in school to have had a Latin teacher. Eamon Nally was his name. And he was a wonder, it just shows you the influence that a secondary teacher can have on your life. He, was, he spent very little time working on the curriculum. He told us day after day after day about words and the derivations. He'd written several books on this himself. And I was just so lucky that I was in his classes and he, he, he taught us Latin, but he also taught us English, he taught us Irish. He, he really had a wonderful feel for languages and the derivation of words. And that's something that you, you can't buy. 
it's sort of education that you get for nothing and it's there for the rest of your life so car is i think a word of irish origin which is not widely known and on that note we'll leave it thank you very much tess thank you paul Thank you.